back to optimism vaccine i'm steve and this is my favorite month out of the year because this is the time of year when uh we get to do a bunch of horror movies with sean glennis so joining us it's like every october sean glennis is here hello to all of my fans and dear listeners oh man the sean faithful are they're uh they're out in full force man they call themselves the glenny boys they've been waiting uh 12 months, 11 months, I guess, for this episode. Yeah, waiting 11 months, and they've been cosplaying as you the whole time, just looking like a little prepubescent Woody Allen. <laughs> well, 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 sure. Hey, you want him to come back for the next episode? <laughs> I feel like Sean's like uh, 18 inches taller than Woody Allen. He, no, yeah, he's, he's like if you stacked three Woody Allens on top of each other and wrapped him in a trench coat. Woody Allen when he drank his milk. Yeah. A lot of people are calling Sean a triple Woody Allen for various reasons. Yeah, uh, I'll be lucky if I'm pumping out work in my uh, 90s. Oh, my God. I, I don't think you're ever going to come close to hitting anything. It's, you know, the highest highs of a rainy day in New York. <laughs> Is Woody Allen really in his 90s? Yeah, he's 91, I think. Wow, well, good news. He'll be uh, gone soon. That is going to be a bad day online. Don't wish that on anyone. A rainy day on yeah. Twitter. A rainy day on film Twitter. Jesus, the think pieces for the next week will fucking melt your brain. But oh, hey, God. we don't have to it's worry about this so for good. another like 15 years. So Minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of bummed out though, Sean, because uh, we, we couldn't find a way to sneak in any pornography this year. Oh, yeah, you're right. We almost did, but decided against it. <laughs> Somehow you were able to swerve around that. Uh, but, but you do get to, or you did get to watch a couple of films by the, uh, the best Bava in the history of filmmaking. So that's, that's something, right? Sure. Yeah, we said, I think we teased last year we were going to cover Bava. I'm sure that's what the uh, people were coming to expect. I did. Yeah, yeah. So we were to giving it fair. to them. We're giving them exactly what they wanted. To be fair, I did do like a Bava run, but it was like in September for whatever reason, just on a whim, uh, instead mm-hmm. of, you know, actually planning to do it for this podcast. But um, I'm happy that we chose these uh, movies because uh, demons, so we're ta- we're going to be talking about demons and demons too, as well as the church, but demons and demons too are like those a couple horror movies that I didn't really have a frame of reference for. Um, I would see like newly like issued vinyls of the soundtracks going for, you know, some ungodly price and being like, huh, uh, I should know like what this is. Um, cause it looks cool and it's Italian. Like I, I should have a frame of reference for this. And obviously I know the name Baba. Um, so this gave me a chance to to like catch up on it. I didn't know like I, I had no idea that like even what the premise was, which is uh, a very striking premise. Yeah, you know, I, I I was I was joking about the whole Bava thing, but uh old old Lumberto had some good tricks up his sleeve for these. Uh, I got to give the man credit where credit is due. 
Uh, and in case you haven't noticed, yeah, we we are talking we're talking demons today. Uh, also, J Jack and Myros are both here too. Incidentally, uh, yeah. yeah. doing. Yes, let's get that out of the way. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so so what are, what are these tricks he had up his sleeve? Like uh, just keeping Ar Dario Argento in his back pocket? <laughs> yeah, and his dad. <laughs> The best tricks you can have if you're an Italian filmmaker in the 1980s is have a cool dad and also be friends with Dario Argento, and he did both of those things. Uh, no, seriously, though, Demons is... It's, it's a compelling premise, and it's a big old just pile of schlock, uh, but it's on such a weird wavelength that I think if, if you give this to almost anyone else... It, it doesn't work as well. I think Lumberto Bava has just the right number of screws loose where uh, th this probably works better than it has any right to. Um, it, it must have been weird, like, being the son. Uh, like, these are big shoes to fill. There are obviously, like, lots of directors who have had uh, fathers, mainly, that have been good directors. Um, but... Like, Mario Bava didn't just make good movies. He also was, like, the like one of the best cinematographers to, like, ever work. <laughs> and Yeah. Uh, which, like, on one hand, it's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, he got to work under this tutelage and uh, got to understand movies in, in, a, in a way that a lot of people didn't uh, get to. But um, it, it's hard when your name is, like, Bava. Like, <laughs> something that is so... Like it, it, it brings to mind like one, one thing, and it's not mm -hmm. you. It's it's rough as well because I mean, and I, I mean I'm a fan of some of Lamberto Bava's films, but he is the double-edged thing of yes, there's a weight of expectation, and then also he really came to maturity in an Italian film industry that was dying. So yeah. it, it, which didn't help. I mean, and he's he's father came up through the golden era and helped forge the golden era of Italian cinema. And then he, yeah. I mean, front half his work is for television into the 90s. Um, you know, kind of a lot of his stuff in the 80s is real schlocky demons is maybe the most fully realized, honestly, maybe the, the like shiniest film he did. And it's mostly just goop. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's it's tricky. Um, but I kind of like I like Lambert Abava as a director somewhat because he, for better or worse, I think he. He understands the weight of his lineage a little bit. He, he like he knows he's kind yeah. of the heir to horror royalty, and he's very interested in kind of the self-reflexive elements of horror of, um, kind of of being born into horror and being a, an author of horror and how those feed back into each other. You know, and obviously very kind of influenced by you know say Poe and people like that. There's that wonderful kind of like intertextuality between the writing of the horror and the you know a lot of like i guess it's kind of a thing actually through a lot of italian horror of the ear and the giallo is that the protagonists are all artists themselves and um, you know that's kind of an important thing they did and it really becomes kind of their creation of art feeds into this idea of horror as something that is also created there's a kind of a metatextual element there the only problem is that i think lambert bava is never quite able to pin down what he wants to say he has never had that like genius chord that Dario Argento or his father mm -hmm. had so he he mm -hmm. kind of like he he gets a certain amount there and then he ends up copying other people or kind of just leaning into other people and um 
Yeah. It, it's kind of defines a lot of his work but that that being said i like demons to me is like just a, a really great like fast food meal it's just it's really enjoyable it's comforting it's definitely one of my yeah. like once a year movies it's goofy as hell it's got just enough kind of mystery in it that you're kind of like it's n- it's not quite entirely stupid stupid it's got like a, a certain veneer of like is this clever on top and i don't and i don't know who that came from i like probably argento let's be honest um but yeah it's it's just a very enjoyable film um if if you happen to enjoy the things it does which is mostly puss pouring everywhere and blood and guts and heavy metal uh if you don't enjoy those things this is must be a real abrasive experience yeah it it is interesting that both of the directors we're looking at uh, this episode, it, it's like impossible to separate them from the death of the Italian film industry. Like, you're looking at Lomberto Bava as maybe the guy who was expected to be next, the guy who maybe they thought would take the baton from Argento, and then you're looking at the guy who was and did and was that next visionary. And yeah, it's, it's just kind of sad that the industry just fell out from under these guys. Cause... Well, I mean, the, the whole, yeah, the whole Italian film industry, you can trace it through the Bava lineage because even, so Lombardo Bava's uh, grandfather, uh, Eugenio Bava, he was uh, one of the first cinematographers in all of Italy. Like he, he was an important part of Italy having a film industry in the first place. Right. So just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Man. funny because Argento's family as well. I mean, Argento came from a theater and film, like an Argento works film critic. I think his, his family had film connections too. I mean, they're very much ensconced in the industry. They've kind of, they, I don't, they never, they are the film industry effectively. They lived it. They were just in the midst of it all. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself for, for better or worse when it comes out to, you know, Lamberto Bava's legacy certainly is a hell of a lot more low grade than <laughs> Tario Argento's. Have you, I, I didn't get to it during my Bava run, but have you guys seen uh, Shock? Yes. Um, because Lamberto, uh, uncredited, but like worked on that and like helped finish that as it's, well. It's been a while. Yeah, Lamberto Bava helped to finish, I think, two of Mario Bava's films because it was that and Rabbit Dogs or Rabbit Dogs at least has one version that was edited mm. or completed by Lamberto Bava. Um, the Lamberto cut. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which people love that movie. It's it's a it's a mean movie. It's uh, <laughs> Jesus. Just thinking about it, like it's just a sweaty, grim, fucking mean movie. It's uh it's very good, but uh, yeah, no, Lamberto Bava helped finish his father's work and Shock. I, I don't recall too much of Shock. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it does have like one of the great jump scares in horror cinema. And it's like just one of those in typical Mario Bava fashion. It's like this just completely simple, like there's nothing fancy or special about it. It's just a really well executed practical effect that just absolutely works on camera, you know, which was <laughs> him to a T, you know, it's like why spend bunch of money on something where you could just like do something really like have some guy crouching somewhere and pop up and hey presto it works way better than a 50 million dollar movie would but um yeah it, it, Lamberto I mean like I think Lamberto was a great he was a solid technician and he was surrounded by people who are also like just really embedded in it uh, like uh, Dardane Sachetti I think is the name who you know wrote Demons or was one of the writers of De- I think it's like four writers on Demons which is pretty funny when you consider 
the amount of script that this movie must have required, which couldn't have been that much. Um, you know, and the <laughs> plot is pretty thin. Um, but, you know, it, it, he's surrounded by these people who really, you know, kind of were just constantly working, churning out content. And right? so I guess Bava was really, in a sense, was really like in the prime position to do all kinds of things. And I guess just never had a chance because the the Italian industry was falling apart. But also, I, d I do wonder sometimes if maybe the weight of his own lineage meant that he was a little unwilling to experiment. He never really branched out in the way that, you know, when you think about someone mm -hmm. like Joe D'Amato or Jess Franco, who worked sometimes for pennies, just putting stuff together, but they had such a, a complete disregard for any expectations of what their work should be, that they really kind of forged completely unique paths. Um, Lambert Abava never, never managed to do that. And, you know, I say this with great affection for his work, but most of Lamberto Bava's films and my favorite films from him, like Demons or A Blade in the Dark, are honestly kind of like reheated stew of movies you already know and love. And it's it's fun in that sense, but he is quite indebted to things that have already been done. Although, as I think about it, it's kind of funny because his first, I think it was his first feature of his own, Macabre, has... Um, the conclusion of that was completely ripped off by a really terrible Japanese horror movie in about 2002 called Grotesque, which is really odd, come to think of. So I guess people have subsequently ripped off Lamberto Bava. So that's something he's made. So it. when you when you say that, like, you know, uh, <clears throat> Demons and, and A Blade in the Dark are like reheated, uh, you know, uh, versions of classic movies, you're thinking like uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no question that these uh, demons is heavily indebted to Woody Allen, as is most of the Just 80s Italian horror that we know. Keep <laughs> this theme, keep this thread. It's a real triple Woody Allen. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I, the thing that I, I kind of like about this movie, too, like looking back on it, it probably didn't feel this way at the time, but the, the way that culturally we've sort of constructed what 80s horror is all about, which are these like goopy special effects, the heavy metal music, uh, just kind of boobs and, and silliness, uh, right down to a guy riding around on a motorcycle with a samurai sword chopping up demons. I feel like we're going to have to get back uh, to that, by the way, because uh, I, I, yeah, I need we're, a little help. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is it, it's done so earnestly, but if this movie was made today, it would almost be like a like a, a goofy piss take because it's it's just this silly and, and over the top stuff that we've we've come to associate with the era that now yeah. when movies try and recreate that it's it's always just so self-conscious. Yeah. Yeah, self-conscious. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's no irony, I don't think, to a Bava film. He really he believes it. And in the same way, I mean, yeah, like Argento. I mean, the, the fingerprints of Argento are writ large on particularly Demons 1. It's very much an 80s Argento film. It's very much in the line of Tenebre and Opera and Phenomena. It's that, like, in the 80s, mm -hmm. Argento just kind of escalated um, into this very hyper-stylized horror. He moved back into narrative where Suspiria had kind of unhinged from it and Inferno had to some degree. And uh, he kind of moved back into giallo, kind of, but he reinvented it in a really fascinating way. I'm, you know, I really love Argento's '80s work, and Demons has all of those elements. The kind of like big colors, big soundtrack. Like, I mean, no one uses heavy metal 
like Argento does across these movies, just blaring through. Um, and yeah, it's it's the earnestness of it because it's sort of like I, I don't know what exactly he's trying to accomplish with it in a sense because it's, it feels when Argento uses heavy metal in his films, it feels very personal to me. It doesn't feel commercial <laughs> or slick yeah. because no one else used the music like that. It could mostly because that music is so that music would overpower almost any other film being made. But Dario Argento's films are pitched in such a way that heavy metal can somehow coexist with other images and story elements at the same time but yeah it's it's um yeah you're i think it's right that if you were to look at a lamberto bava's films you were trying to even just do a straight remake now it would look like a sci-fi film or it would look like it was actually i was talking to um someone earlier on on twitter who just happened to mention a film i've not seen um lamberto bava's uh what is it like killer fish or I don't recall what the <laughs> what the exact name of it is, but basically he said that uh, Mar- Lamberto Bava invented the the uh, sci-fi movie of the week decades before it happened because it's a fish. It's a movie about a killer fish with tentacles. It, it is called uh, Devil Fish. Devil Fish. There you go. Mm. Well, I'm sure he's a killer fish too. He doesn't look too friendly on the cover art. So um, you know, and and that's kind of what Bava was at, I guess. It's just sort of you know. He he just goes he goes straight in. There's no subtlety and there's not really much uh, maneuvering within it. Demons ironically might have the most subtle um, kind of uh, elements to it in terms of the meta, the the kind of strain between what's happening on the cinema screen versus what's happening in the cinema, and trying to tease out what if any relationship those elements point towards. You know that's. Maybe the most ephemeral element in any of Bava's films, which are normally just like straight up like just people killing each other and screaming and wild special effects. So, yeah, sort of sort of an interesting touch there. Demons is kind of strange that way. And I guess that's kind of what I like about it is that it's so over the top and loud and gruesome and Mm -hmm. everything. And yet there is something, I think, quite genuine about its concerns of kind of like the, the that kind of unknown quantity that cinema on a big screen kind of presents that idea of like sitting in a dark room with this unknown thing unfolding in front of you and kind of enlivening your imagination and you could see anything you know demons is kind of predicated on that and then it just goes wild and that's kind of kind of fun really uh yeah yeah i mean i it is it, it is a strange movie if you're going into it like hoping to uh, dig in on a plot because it does at first blush seem like a a very potentially interesting plot. Uh, You know, it it is about this haunted movie theater, essentially. That is, uh, it becomes this nexus for essentially a a, a zombie event. I mean, this movie is not fundamentally different in any way from the hordes of Italian zombie films. It's, it's as if they wanted to, uh, distinguish themselves and perhaps create a new branch to, of uh, so they can make the same movies without uh, feeling identical to an extent. I, I so wonder, they, is yeah. it, these, these are demons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wonder, is, is it different. indebted? Like, I'm trying to think of the timeline on this, but I mean, really, it's like the fast zombies. And that wasn't that common in the 80s. Um, was it Umberto Lanzi did Nightmare City, I think, which also had like quick zombies. That would have, I can't recall when that came in the 80s, but like, you know, when people talk about like 28 days later or whatever, it's like the zombies run and it's like they, it wasn't the first, it just wasn't as common. So I guess demons was like, fast zombies are demons. 
everyone knows this. Right. That's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> because uh, uh, fucking Nostradamus <laughs> predicted it or something. <laughs> so saith Nostradamus. <laughs> That's the best part. Uh, yeah, Classic I, delivery. It, it's just that you might think that sounds like a compelling ethereal plot and just don't go in looking for that because this movie is... It, it does have some astounding visuals. It's a lot of fun, but it is dumb as shit. Like, this it's, is a, an yeah. incredibly I, it, stupid It does movie. go in directions you wouldn't expect, because if I'm thinking of just... Uh, if I had to write a list of a million different ways that, uh, you know, demons get introduced into a movie theater and start killing people, I don't think I would have gotten to, like... Uh, the the cursed tomb of Nostradamus. Well, that I, I almost wish that were the case, but it, it's like they chickened out on that front because the the actual every, everything we just talked about from the dirt bike machete to to what in fact starts the demon plague thing, which is a shitty gold demon mask uh, prop uh, that pricks a woman on the face and gives her a demon infection. Uh, all of these things are you know we had four writers on the script. Uh, they figured they needed to introduce these various elements, a dirt bike, uh, a machete, <laughs> a, and a gold mask. How can we do this? Uh, I guess that's what's in movie theater lobbies, right? <laughs> it's a one-off. It's a special preview showing. They don't have, they don't have like, you think these people would be like chucking popcorn oil at the, the demons or something? No. There's a dirt bike. It's an interesting thing, though. Okay, so like, if we want to, if we want to clear, kind of like the mysterious element of this, I guess, if if we want to try and dive into this, there's like a metatextual tension in the film. Have we, yeah, have we like explained what the so, premise of the so, film? So, so the film opens with, and it's a girl in this in the subway or whatever in Berlin, and she gets off, and she is scarily pursued by a scary looking guy who then ends up just handing her a ticket to this like preview screening at this this theater and they don't even say what the movie is but the scary guy is wearing half of a metal mask and is completely wordless and is played by Michaela Suave who we will talk about later in this episode they she goes to this theater with her friend and in the theater is there's a bunch of people who've all received these tickets possibly at random or maybe it's fated we will never know we don't know if the writers knew either. They all go, they sit down, this movie starts playing. In the movie, there, the main character appears to also be Michele Suave at this point without the mask or without any mask. But then he puts on this mask at some point, the demon's mask, and it nicks his face and he becomes a demon in the movie. Meanwhile, this same mask is, as Adam's mentioned, is hanging off like a sword off a, like a guy in a, a mannequin on a motorbike in the lobby and a girl puts it on as a joke and it nicks her face and so she becomes the first demon so there's no actual connection between uh the demons on screen and the demons that emerge in the theater other than that they have the same mask but we don't know mm -hmm. if the movie that we were watching ended with uh michaela suave cracking the mask and freeing himself of the demon curse or becoming somewhat invested and becoming a messenger and luring other people in. The film is unfinished in the cinema because someone bursts through the screen, a demon bursts through the screen and the film ends mm -hmm. and they smash the projector because they, they're trying, they think the, the film is propelling events in the theater, but it turns out it isn't, or if it is, it's already too late, they can't reverse it. So there's this kind of weird element because Michaela Suave is both on the screen as an actor and also in the real world of the film as a guy handing out the tickets. What does that mean? At 
who the hell knows, honestly. Yeah. Uh, well, again, it, it's <laughs> demons. The, the, another thing was like, well, we gotta we gotta write ten characters to be in this movie theater. Uh, who goes to the movies? Uh, uh, blind people. <laughs> blind people with their with their wife who provides a like uh, an uh, audio daughter. commentary. I think that's I think it's daughter. as supposed to be. or his daughter. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's like twice as old as she. Well, is. it's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah. God damn it, see, I was gonna make the same. <laughs> who knows? But anyway, she she ventures off to get felt up by some other guy. Which, which brings in, like, I guess it's, again, the, the movie theater. It's, like, people going on dates. It's people hanging out. There's, like, our two lead female characters meet up with two male lead characters, and they kind of start flirting with each other. There's all this potential, you know. It's it's very much feels in the sense. It's, like, this is, like, cinema paradiso, but for people who love goopy horror movies, it's got all this, like, love elements to sitting in a dark room watching a horror movie. And yeah, and that metatextual element over it, which kind of, I don't, you know, it's it's evocative without actually quite managing anything, which I feel like it's almost like a hallmark of Lamberto Bava's career. It's like a lot of his movies have just enough thought gone into the initial premise to make you think like, hmm, that's really interesting. And then it never quite pushes over or tips over into like something really profound or fully realized. Um, but I think it's mm-hmm. re- it's really enjoyable here because honestly, that just gives way to just a really madcap ragtag, ultimately apocalyptic story. I mean, this kind of also falls into like a John Carpenter's like obsession with apocalypse around the same time in the early eighties. You know, all his movies ended with the end of the world, and Demons kind of does too. And then it starts up with Demons Two, where the world didn't end and we don't know what happened. So, <laughs> well, well there's a, there's more to that as well not that we need to pivot just yet i i mean we haven't even touched on the uh the most outstanding parts of this film where, where the uh punks are just like making their way slowly to the movie theater we keep cutting to these punks who yeah. are like snorting cocaine out of a literal coke can uh so good yeah yeah there's this uh, the ridiculous scene where this guy is like fucking running a razor blade over this woman's bare breasts trying to <laughs> snow on the mountains really as he cool. says. it is <laughs> the all the scenes with these characters are really well implemented maybe the one area where i think this easily bests the, the second film is that this is uh those really serve to kind of break up the monotony because the, the demons formula is such that by the second half of these films, the premise is kind of out the window and it just becomes a a zombie movie. It's just people hold up in a place and demons are assaulting them. And we go on for 45 minutes of that. And it's, it's not the most thrilling. The the best parts of these films are the first halves of these films, but uh, those are uh, quite compelling first halves of films. I'll give them that. Yeah, there's there's a weird staccato rhythm I think to demons that I, ultimately I think I qu- I quite enjoy, even though I think it's probably not actually a great system. And demons too has it to some degree as well, where it's just kind of like it's it's fully on. And then it just like another scene comes along and it's just kind of like the whole movie just kind of dies off again. And I, I don't know. It's, oh, yeah. it's sort of it's like, like a, it's like a faucet that he's turning on and off. Right. Yeah. Just like compelling cinema and then just 
everything just stops. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the heavy metal soundtrack that's like, you know, the guitar solos are like these like pitched wailing, like exciting bits. And then it just kind of like goes back to chugging away, doing, you know, kind of getting the mm. business done. But, you know, it's it's this is just a really almost like honestly a really great movie to kind of half watch. And uh, once yeah. you've familiarized yourself with it, it's a really fun movie to kind of come kind of like step in and out of. And, you know, I think it's it's just really great in that mold. If if you kind of, you know, if you enjoy it, I this is not a movie that I would just stick on an unsuspecting person. It's like, <laughs> this is a great horror movie. I would say, check this movie out. And if you like it, you know, it's one that kind of bears repeat viewings. But um, de definitely probably a little bit too specific for general horror fans yeah yeah i mean it doesn't play by like american rules at all like yeah there are no there, there's no utility in this script uh, at, almost at any point and all these sinister characters who are introduced from suave's metal phantom of the opera or what have you and then there's also this like super striking ticket taker who you're like okay who's who's the, the girl from deep red it's the same actress yeah, the little girl right. which which yeah. is a, like again a little metatextual element that's interesting but doesn't mean anything yeah but if you're conditioned to watching hollywood movies and you're watching this going oh these people are involved somehow <laughs> I, I wonder how this is going to play out no they just exit <laughs> the movie entirely they're they're not a part of anything they there's, don't there's even... a grand question of how because the ticket taker is working in the theater that apparently exists solely to bring demons into the world like the, and the, the exits are bricked up mysteriously in the middle of the yeah. movie and no one can escape and it's like but she apparently is not in on this <laughs> what right, she yeah. what happened we'll never I don't know, know. It, it, and the other thing that really stands out to me is like feeling especially bizarre if you're used to watching like hollywood horror film is the the sense of place in this very limited movie house like it, it doesn't exist like i have no concept of where they blockaded the demons into <laughs> it, it, it made at no point was that like spatially clear to me it's like i guess the demons are somewhere else vaguely somewhere other than where <laughs> the the uninfected people are and then they have this whole big sequence where they break into this oh secret hidden room oh maybe this will be the key to exit it it is a room that leads to nothing and <laughs> It, it virtually has nothing to do with the rest of the film. They just break through this wall into this empty fucking like. The smart weird thing room. is, Suave has a, a tunnel that goes nowhere in the church, but it's in a gothic cathedral, which makes a hell of a lot more sense to have weird stuff like that. It's kind of strange because on yeah, they could have put a second cinema in there if they'd if they'd been thinking right. <laughs> yeah, I, and in Suave's work, it's it's not meant as like a plot mechanism here it feels like it very distinctly is sure. like this is the next plot beat we're going into these tunnels or something no <laughs> they just spend 10 <laughs> minutes breaking through this wall to nothing <laughs> see this is this is the beauty of lumberto bava though because it's it's like the the goofy pacing it's it's everything that exists in the margins that just doesn't feel right and it gives the whole movie this otherworldly just vibe throughout the whole thing i also like how i mean there's what is there probably like a dozen characters in this movie like people that become points of focus but don't actually matter and even our our, our protagonist girl she sort of fades into the background and then the the guy who eventually emerges as the motorcycle 
motorcycle riding, like machete wielding hero, that transformation, it, it almost feels instantaneous. Like there's no <laughs> clear like growth or anything for him. He's just like, all right, I went from like douchey frat guy to, I don't know, thoughtful, caring badass out of nowhere. Yeah, I, know, I will give Bob a credit. I love that fake out at the end with the two of them, because the whole time he has you looking at the scratch on the guy's arm after this a huge gash mm-hmm. on his arm and you're like oh boy he's gonna turn and then it immediately it's the other patron the woman who actually turns and he just immediately kills her i was like oh it's slick i like it i appreciate <laughs> this you did it lumberto i was looking the wrong way and you fucking got me and again like yeah. the 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 main that guy's like bizarre transformation into sword wielding uh, master demon assassin again it feels almost like it happens because aren't we watching a movie and you know they were watching a movie mm-hmm. and you know ultimately it's it's like that clever stupid that just perfectly pervades this film and makes you think like i would Beautiful. i would love an oral history of this film from everyone to find out how invested they actually were in any of the details that they they actually ultimately put in here um to really just go like what were they thinking of when they did it well i think I think uh, what's also nice about both of these movies is that the uh, the movie that they watch is interesting. Like, I would gladly sit through whatever that movie actually would be. I think particularly in Demons 2 for me, I was like... Yes. It's, like, yes, it's almost like an alternate Demons 2. You're like, oh, this could be Might them be exploring the post-apocalypse. <laughs> That's yeah. what it kind of feels like. Like the the movie that plays in Demons Two, it, it had me thinking. Like, did they just start like making a direct sequel that takes place immediately after the events of Demons One, and then they decided to scrap that and do this like luxury high rise apartment? See, I was thing? also thinking like, was this a documentary? I mean, it becomes clear at a certain point that it's not. But at, at, at when it kicked off, I'm like, oh, the, is this a proper sequel? Did the events of the first movie occur? And these are like people exploring the ruins uh but mm. no, I, mm-hmm. yeah yeah the voiceover of it suggests there was a time when the the world fell to demons and it's like is that referencing the first movie and i think i think even it opens with people driving around with weapons in a car which is how the first movie ends so it suggests it's almost you know a continuation but it's 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 again i mean we talk demons too it's again writing that line of clever stupid but this time with like television instead of cinema which i must admit I, to me is kind of the fatal flaw of demons too because but, but anyhow but, but doesn't it doesn't it make sense because like as we have talked about with uh bava's career like working in tv more like that that was just like the mode with like the death of the italian film industry doesn't it make sense like in an interesting way that like people are just like all watching this like um simultaneously watching television in their high-rise apartment i think there's there's a perspective on that but i think at like functionally at this point i don't think bava himself had been relegated to tv i think that came <laughs> well, no. a few years later so but you're right i mean that's it's definitely an end to this film is it's kind of like almost a, the apocalyptic element of demons 2 is the death of cinema of italian cinema right, itself right. and everyone you're right is at mm-hmm. home watching a movie uh, one last thing i just like to say about like demons and it will come through to like demons too is that i really think there's just some incredible uh 
visuals here. And I do wonder, you know, Bava, we talk about is kind of like always kind of piggybacking off other guys. I, and I think it's it's a very loving kind of a, a recreation. I think he's really enamored with other people's work and he ends up kind of like re kind of reinventing it. Um, there's the probably the key image of demons is all of the demons running down the, the cinema corridor yeah. with their yellow eyes glowing. And it's this incredible image. And it reminds me a little bit of Fulshi zombie when the zombies rise because partially because of the like weird soundtrack choices that overlay these images but it's it's this wonderful mm -hmm. kind of apocalyptic image of just you know something completely inhuman coming towards you um and weirdly and ironically i think he actually gets the image even better it's it's repeated almost exactly in demons too but i think it's actually better in that movie um but yeah, just like, say like, like I think, everything you know that's yeah, well you demons see, too. it's the same movie but better i mean i'm not i wouldn't i'm not gonna like go back because i think demons 2 has its fun things but what what that my issues with demon 2 and i suppose we could just like segue straight into this is essentially that i think the television element doesn't ring as true although i think sean brings up an interesting perspective to it there's a communal element to television but I don't know if mm -hmm. the meta textual details here aren't as immediately, I think, convincing as they were in Demons or mysterious as they were in Demons. And then the other problem is that Demons 2 is just like a verbatim photocopy of the first movie. Like, <laughs> absolutely the same. Like, for a movie that almost has no plot beats like Demons, it's incredible how much Demons 2 is the same thing. It's it's quite remarkable almost but it's still it's still a grand old time um the main thing about demons 2 that struck me is that this is if demons 1 was one film demons 2 is the film where lambert bava had clearly seen gremlins because he devotes an entire sequence <laughs> to killing a gremlin in the most like bald face like i saw something cool and i want to do my own version um Really fun movie. Dude, I, I would love an Italian Gremlins ripoff. That, that, the lighting <laughs> in that fucking scene is ridiculous. It's like oh, yeah. complete seizure-inducing, gorgeous, awesome <laughs> madness. I love it. Even though I hate the yeah. fucking Muppet. <laughs> but uh, forget the existence of the Muppet. That's a fucking amazing sequence. Yeah, the, they, they seem to, uh, in Demons 2, my big issue was like that they ditched the movie, right? Like, the, the they seemed to like be investing in this, you know, this searching troop thing uh, that these young people are doing in, in that uh, movie, but then it kind of just goes to the wayside. Yeah, it disappears until they need someone to reinvade or whatever. Um, well, the, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure it does disappear entirely until they end up in a TV station, which happens to be next door very conveniently, and there's probably that really great scene and this is kind of where it gets really interesting where the kind of the the lead demon she sort of gets that that kind of quality it's difficult to determine why she's the lead demon but she is that's the magic of movies and she's like dead on the ground but the camera tv camera is trained on her so she her body is on like recording all of these tv monitors and somehow instinctually our, our hero realizes that as long as her body's on those TV cameras, she is still around. She can still come back and he has to he has to kill not her body, but the but the the cameras or the, the monitors, you know, mm -hmm. again, interesting doesn't mean anything. No idea. 
uh, Jack, get it's about to... you know the television will rot your brain. That's what they say. Yeah, well, yeah. sure, it's true. I, I think with the demon stuff here, I I get it's not as like arresting of an image when you have the the demon coming out of the TV, but also it it makes a little more sense to me. Uh, like like Sean was saying, it's it's kind of a communal experience, especially when there's only three channels on that you just sort of flip this on and, and that's what everybody's watching mm -hmm. because you, you don't really have many choices. And then on top of that, it's, it's communal, but it's also very isolating. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's great for this, the idea of like, you know, the demon comes out and then they, they scratch you, they bite you and then they, that infects you and then you become one of them and then you infect more. So it's, it's great for that kind of viral spread of what these monsters are because, you know, they're, they're able to, to go through the TV, but to your point, too, they kind of, after the initial surge of demons through the television, they kind of fuck off and don't worry about it for about 90 minutes. <laughs> well, the TV goes off the air. That's the thing, right? They, they knock the TV uh, broadcast yes. off the air. Yeah. The, the weird thing about, yeah. like, like Demons 2 is very much in sway to Cronenberg as well. I mean, sure. from, yeah. from its, clearly the demon, the first demon coming through the screen is like literally straight from Videodrome. It's the same effect mm -hmm. yeah, realized yeah. Yes. completely. Right. And then the premise itself generally has obvious clear shades of, of shivers. And, but, and, and it has it up to the point where like one of the plot points in this movie is that the power is knocked out of the building and the whole building becomes uninhabitable. Not a, like every door randomly locks, like ran, people's doors in their apartments lock, which I know is like a horror movie trope and that's how they're using it. But it's like nothing works in this building when the power goes off. But it's kind of like, I know they, they keep talking about how the, the windows are bulletproof. I don't know why you would need those in <laughs> Berlin and then I, I guess maybe a divided Germany. I don't think so. It's just like they keep talking about how like hefty the windows are, which means, of course, no one can break them to escape. And it's like some towing some line between inventing these things so they can kind of like compartmentalize and keep everyone trapped in the building. And it's just useful for the, the horror storyline. But it also kind of speaks towards this kind of like almost Tati-esque like pointless innovation of modernism you know it's like wouldn't it, like we can have bulletproof windows in our building and it's wouldn't isn't that amazing and it's like but what's the point and ultimately it turns out to be bad but yeah. demons 2 doesn't really it's not a class film like there's no class consciousness not like say shivers has no. a very specific view of kind of like a morbid right. bourgeoisie just kind of falling into its own sexual predilections Demons 2 doesn't have that element, but it's kind no. of copied all the other stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think a lot <laughs> of the default the there is, is just in basic, like, setting and establishment shots. Like, I think maybe their point with the bulletproof glass as, I mean, if, it, if it's meant to signify anything, then <laughs> we failed. But I think the logical extension of it is just in, in like, what you'd see in a high-rise where... Of course, due to altitude, you can't just be opening windows willy-nilly. They probably are largely bulletproof because, you know, you can't have a bird flying into it and sure. smashing it open and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, they, they mentioned the aircon going down and they can't open the windows and stuff like that. Right, yeah, but it's just like when they show establishing shots of this building, it is it is not the sort of building where, <laughs> where these things would be occurring. That is, it seems to be like a four-story apartment building. But, uh, yeah... I, I mean, it's the little things in this movie that, that make me prefer to the first, I suppose, because it is largely, there's no so, there's no great leap in quality. It is almost exactly the same movie. Uh, it's just like little stylistic elements. And that method of transmission 
is one of those elements to me that really sets it apart because it's not just another fucking bloodborne zombie virus or whatever. It's a, it's this strange signal driven thing, and, and it it actually speaks to something more interesting. And beyond that, again, same movie done over again, uh, a little funkier, uh, some more bizarre lighting choices and uh maybe a little bit more fun setting for my mind i i get a little sick of seeing the two rooms in the movie theater and the fucking red curtains the end but uh it's a little more variety here and the the soundtrack is fucking killer like i i may not be the the metalhead i once was but man give me this fucking new wave shit and it, it really makes it pop a lot more for me oh yeah this is like loaded with sad boy music yeah yeah i think um as somebody who you know is new to these obviously um i think the problem for me in terms of like the uh the difference in quality between them is that like the first demons like kept surprising me um like kept one-upping itself with like the various way like mutations or whatever and like that thing that comes out of somebody's stomach towards the end uh is just like frightening and or if not frightening like interesting and um demons 2 didn't have that like momentum for me um just didn't seem to be like escalating in a way that that felt as satisfying sure sure i i get it i mean if you've just watched demons 1 then nothing in demons 2 is going to surprise you that's for fucking sure but i <laughs> yeah i never felt like that was like a successful aspect for me at any point with either film i feel like at the point where i'd sat down and watched demons i'd seen enough uh mm-hmm. of this sort of thing where there was nothing in demons where i was like oh wow this is new what what a surprise you really yeah, got me. i think demons like the demons franchise or sorry the first two demons movies the demons franchise is a clusterfuck of absolutely <laughs> spiraling dimensions we don't really need to try and even cover but the first <laughs> the first two demons movies are an actual franchise um and i think the best way to pitch them really is that they are they were made from the ground up for people who were already very much familiar with zombie movies um, yes. and that kind of thing like it's it's the movie for it's a zombie movie for zombie movie lovers and and that's what they both are so yeah surprise is kind of like you know i agree with sean i think some of the images are certainly surprising it's even more surprising that on certain occasions demons climb out of the demons and we're not quite sure so which is the demon then if there's another person in them never explained yeah not but, at all. but the second question dares to ask the question that what if the demon that climbs out of the demon then becomes a fun gremlin that's, that's demons too yeah what if what if it's a tiny demon rather than a regular <laughs> sized demon and you kill it with an umbrella um yeah, yeah. It's whole little baby thing. demons are just mischievous they're not really that bad never know what he get up to he look like he had sharp teeth uh well i, I can tell you my two favorite things in in demons too uh first of all the the guy who plays the uh, mustachioed black pimp in demons one mm-hmm. he returns for demons two as a like a, a gym leader but his character is the exact same thing yeah and uh there's no connection the like, other this guy, is a totally the, different character but it's the same character the cokehead guy returns too that's right he but this time he's on the side of the law he's like the the security guard he settled down. He got a job. I I love the guy who the 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 black guy. He's just like he is 
absolutely put there just because he looks like he should be in these movies. He um, looks like Ken Forey. Yeah. <laughs> <So> like... <laughs> yeah, shitty Ken Forey. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bobby Rhodes. Um, and my second favorite thing is the woman who plays the, the lead demon lady. Uh, Sally is the name of the character. I would actually argue that she is worse as a regular human than she is as a demon. And uh, it makes perfect sense that she's this nightmarish, horrific creature when she's possessed, because holy fuck. Yeah, I like to imagine that the It's My Party, uh, I Can Cry If I Want To song was written about her, because she is <laughs> just one mopey little weirdo at her party, even more so than the goth music would, would suggest. Uh, yeah, one thing I would say about both these movies, and even as someone who really enjoys them, God, the, the, the demon slash zombie acting in these movies is uh, uneven, to say the least. <laughs> a lot of like their, their long <laughs> shots of them walking and stumbling and stuff. Like, it, not everyone got the same brief on how they were supposed to do it. There's some real weird shit going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really just going off the principle of, you know, kind of just, just feel what your inner zombie is and just kind of live that just be that and uh yeah there's there's no consistency at all but you know who needs it no big deal wait jack you said this franchise was only two films long how come i watched uh, <laughs> five films <laughs> no i said i said the demons franchise as a cohesive thing <laughs> is two movies long and then italian film distributors got at it and then well, you know yourself, mm. Adam. Uh, you've done more research on this than me. You you were tracking them down. I think there are nine. I think there are nine. You've got... <laughs> we've got the three films called Demons 3, which are uh, The Church, which we're about to get into, uh, Black Demons, and The Ogre, uh, which is Lombardo Bava's follow-up. Uh, I, I love the concept that you can have an entire trilogy of part threes. Yes, yes. Uh, what an innovation. <laughs> then for some reason, even though Suave uh, made it his, his aim to never be associated with the Demon series, uh, it turns <laughs> out that every single movie he made since uh, uh, his original stage fright film, which predates Demons, was lumped into the Demon series. So you've got Demons 4, which is his film, The Sect. Uh, then you've got Demons 5, which is, I believe, The Devil's Veil, which is another Baba joint. And then you, for some reason, have Demons 6, which is uh, Kosi's uh, Black Cat, which we'll actually be covering later this month. Uh, as part <laughs> when, of another... Which is actually, yeah, which is actually uh, Kosi's uh, unofficial conclusion to Dario Argento's Suspiria slash Inferno trilogy, Three Mothers trilogy. He decided he'd just make his own to conclude it, and then Argento concluded himself later. So we're already <laughs> swapping franchises. And then you have uh... this is, I mean, if you look at Demons and you want you want a good summary of of what it was like to make genre films in Italy in like the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, this is it. Yeah, like you know, one of them is also in the Witch House. Series, which is in another spiraling amorphous franchise invented entirely by Italian film producers. They just lump stuff in there. So one of them is both a demons movie and a witch house movie or ghost house or whatever That's it's great. called. Well, and I, I love that two of Suave's movies got slapped with the demons label because uh, Steve three, you know, three, he... the demon series wraps up with uh, uh cemetery man slash Del Morte Del Amor slash, uh, 
Demons 95, even though it was not released in 1995. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 94, I think. Yeah. So, oh my god. Why not? Also, don't pay attention to the release dates of many of these because stuff like Demons 5, it comes out like four years before Demons 3. It, it, it's just, <laughs> holy shit. Italy, man. That's great. But, so, okay, so three of his movies get slapped with the Demons label. And when he was making The Church, when he was, he was working on it with uh, Dario Argento to get a script together, it was supposed to be the third Demons movie. Like, that was the aim. But as they started developing the script... It was originally Bava was working on this as well. It, it wasn't Suave yeah. originally. It was Bava and Argento yeah. again. And, and Suave, he scrapped the whole thing and decided to make it a standalone movie that was a little more serious because he didn't like the Demon series at all. He, uh, he called it, and I quote, um, Pizza Schlock. Probably, <laughs> probably so the name he, of this week's episode. <laughs> And he's not wrong. I mean, it's not an unfair uh, categorization, to to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So there you go. Demons. It's pizza schlock. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that's that's okay. It's, you, you ever get, like, just a real, just like, you, it's 3.30 in the morning, you're at a gas station, you just bought a Jack's frozen pizza, you drunkenly throw it in the oven without preheating it because you're Sean Glynis and you're a monster, and then you just sloppily eat it and you wake up the next day and you just have like pizza sauce stains all over your shirt. That's the experience of watching Demons and Demons 2. And you know what? Is, is that something you want to, uh, the kind of experience you want to have all the time? Absolutely not. Um, and maybe you regret it a little bit, but there's still something very satisfying about, about having that experience. But surely Demons anyway. 3 is just more schlock, right? It's just it's more garbage. It's, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be. No, uh, the, the church, the church is fucking brilliant. I think every movie should just be the church and then movies would be better. So, uh, Sean, I guess what, what was it like going from demons to, to the, the whiplash of experiencing the church? Uh, it was interesting because yeah, I was like, okay, uh, uh, this, you know, there's no resemblance. It opens with like a preface that takes place in the 12th century. Um, and then like, there's a little bit of like demon action or something, you know, coming back alive type thing. I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to like wrap around, uh, back into like the present post demons three or post demons two and, and like be some sort of like, um, fresh take on the same idea but uh that was uh soon uh dissolved uh and i adjusted to something that is totally different um but uh it was welcome as well because like we've talked about demons 2 is you know uh kind of a replica of the first and the church couldn't be more different in terms of you know a movie within the same genre and same country but uh, I was very, uh, very happy with with the church. Uh, I think it's I think it's something that um, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Whereas like mm -hmm. demons and demons two are pretty straightforward. The church, uh, the church is not straightforward. So let me let me ask you something real quick though. Um, you know we, we we talk about how demons sort of recalls other <laughs> Italian horror films from the era. And Demons 2, in a lot of ways, is just uh, kind of a carbon copy of Demons 1 with some weird twists. 
Do you think the the church is is based off of the uh, the the church scenes in Hannah and her sisters? Um. Well, do they? Does it predate it? Oh no, maybe it was the next year after. No, three years after. Yeah, well, I think Hannah you're right. Sisters, eighty six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Good. That's that's really all I wanted to know. Thanks. Yeah. So Avi came into this with. <laughs> <laughs> With a decidedly <laughs> different approach, as discussed. The Church is like the great, uh, to me, I think is one of the great underrated horror movies of kind of this period, and Italian horror too. Argento kind of was so overbearing on everything for so long. Soavi is, he kind of did his own thing. He came up with Bava and Argento, like he, or he studied with Bava under Argento. But he, as Steve mentioned, really wanted to do his own thing. And he is a much more slow burn sensibility. His, the church does not really feature a lot of heavy metal on the soundtrack. It's kind of a very slowly unfolding kind of madness. And it's just an impeccably built horror film. And it utilizes where it uses special effects they are of a quality and a, a kind of a visual imagination that i think is uh, pretty spectacular really not something you'll find in it like there's just images in this movie i think that are just utterly unique in in horror cinema the way they're employed it's just an incredible film so the idea that we just dumped into this the middle of this amorphous franchise is extremely funny to me because i just like to see the world burn I guess, but uh, if if you take anything from this this podcast, if you haven't seen the church, just seek that one out. It's it's just a really tremendous film, and it's we talk about like the the kind of meta textual elements or the kind of like social themes being brought into demons and demons too about this or that. They're kind of like half employed. the The church has almost a god. There's some elements early on in it, particularly. When our uh, the the our, one of the main characters who's been brought into this church to catalog the books is clearly uh, taken over by some sort of evil force, and starts uh, eyeing up the sacristan's daughter, who is played by a still like teenage Asia Argento, very quite young at this point. I think Demons Two was her was Asia Argento's first first real film role, and um, she's still quite young in this, and uh, it's just a very very creepy, unnerving scene. And uh, boy, the you know the Catholic Church sure has some some elements that that ring true on this kind of like uh, predilection on young people and so on. The film has a lot of those kind of very uncomfortable elements of what the church is and hides and abides and what what it kind of like shelters and and treasures secrecy versus openness and so on. You know, kind of it's 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 historical weight is something that's kind of like. Here to, it sees itself as a savior of the world, but ultimately it also may house destruction for the world. Uh, there's just a lot of like interesting tensions within this film that are then built into just a really solid kind of um, psychological horror. I mean, there's a lot of elements in this that are like played off as like possible hallucinations, but they don't they they don't lose their weight in a way that say we were talking Lamberto Bava earlier. Just watched uh, Bava's The Ogre, which is like plays into a lot of the worst of it was all a dream you know like half the half the spooky stuff that happens in that movie was you know was it real was it not we, we just couldn't decide so we just said it was a dream so it was there but it wasn't really this movie i think plays with that uncertainty really well and kind of delivers it you know it, this is 
more so than Demons and Demons 2, The Church is a fully realized film and story and kind of trajectory of elements. And yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal. And it's kind of disappointing that Soavi was doing this and bringing this to an Italian film industry that was struggling to support people like him and that ultimately Suavi would end up admittedly he said himself he felt a little bit uh, you know kind of he he lost interest in horror cinema but I have a suspicion that the police investigative movies he made for Italian TV for many years afterwards were probably not where his heart really lied I, I'm guessing just the Italian <laughs> film industry could not help him to make the other movies he wanted to make which is a shame because he is clearly such a detail oriented clever filmmaker so really really kind of shitty but uh, you know at least we have a few films by him and i think this probably i need to see cemetery man again but for me the church has always been i think his best work like it's it was the one that always just stuck to me as being his most fully realized beguiling interesting effective horror movie What's this cemetery man you speak of? You mean Demons 95? <laughs> like Dogma 95. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I, I think all of his films are fantastic. I mean, stage rate's probably a little lesser, but that's that's sure. a very striking slasher as well. That is, this is a movie where you can kind of see him branching out from Argento a little bit more. I mean, stage rate is very much in that mold. And then this... It echoes Inferno quite a bit, which uh, I think it's a significantly better film than Inferno. Inferno is a movie that never fully makes sense. It coalesces. But this is, I don't know. It's kind of a magical film because it brings the dreamlike etheria of the best Italian horror and it applies it to something that means something and logically holds up and it, it's, it, I don't know. You don't, you don't see very much like it in Italian film. Uh, I mean, usually you have to lean one way or the other. You're leaning into full cheese, ethereal, bizarre nonsense. And it, it, it is fully nonsense. If you try to make any logical reasoning or, or deduction about it's, a full film. It's interesting, film. actually, yeah. thematically, probably, the like, I think this leans a lot into, the, like, the dream logic of, a, of later Fulci films, but actually thematically, or, you know, as in a companion piece, uh, probably Don't Torture Duckling is probably the closest Fulci film to it in yeah. some sense, in yeah. terms of its, its societal view of religion, although I guess it kind of leans into a, a lot of, like, City of the Living Dead and stuff of just weird things dangerous things happening and histories left covered that <laughs> leave everyone unprepared for this and that you know you know i think is a, a preponderance of a lot of horror films the idea that we've lost knowledge and it will cost us dearly um you can you can't bury things yeah they literally I, try to bury things here and it doesn't work out well right it, I, and it does have a lot of visual similarities to Fulci's best work, you know, stuff like the beyond mm. and city of the living dead. Uh, but it is, it, it does feel like that sort of next step forward uh, it, for the Italian horror industry. Like it is, it marries a lot of the best of Argento with the best of Fulci. And it's, it, it feels like a far more mature film than maybe either of those directors ever made. If I'm being honest. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I suppose I would say maybe more, uh, kind of more refined for its 
era like i don't know it's it's kind of tricky because i, I mean i think personal like inferno Argento's inferno it took me a couple of viewings to get around to it but i think it's an incredible film i really love it but but there is like fulci and argento do have these rough edges these kind of very vibrant streaks personally that they kind of and if you can't get over them i, I am their movies are always going to keep you at a remove um and and i guess soavi is not to suggest that he's um uh what we say like a uh, more populist or sold out or anything but i think suavi is a much smoother kind of a ride with using a lot of the same kind of elements um which is no mean feat because this movie still arcs in really unexpected ways it still produces some incredible visual elements that i i think you know are genuinely shocking that 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 scene where he first breaks through into the demonic tome and the cross falls through into this water i was like jesus christ like yeah that's fucking it's an incredible scene because yeah because it it's because it's a marriage of like a, a vision versus a reality that because the cross falls and it's it's almost actually reminiscent of um Fellini, Fellini almost for sure. actually yeah. uh, you know the the cross falling is almost like a combination of the opening shot of eight and a half which is the director tied by a string floating in the air and then also la dolce vita and the the sky lifting of the the religious statue it, it almost marries those but then it has this incredible calm of the water um, but we know what's being released is something very dark and ancient and threatening, but they're, they're so it, it kind of pictorially conveys this kind of sense of serenity, I think, that floods into the character as being possessed. Um, you know, kind of it, it suggests why he can't resist what, what comes. There, there's just really, like, so obviously just, he's really good at this. This film flows effortlessly. It marries kind of concrete and if kind of like uh, metaphoric imagery beautifully it's it's just an incredibly refined film and you know in a way i i don't mean to say like i think fulci is incredibly refined in his own way but fulci movies are also weird as shit and like yeah. you really have yeah. to you have to get on his way well i would i would say way, that yeah. argento and fulci to me I, I, two of the more formally skilled filmmakers you'll ever see but i think they are both kind of fatally self-indulgent many many times and in a way Uh, that this film really does not read to me i I guess i i don't know Mm -hmm. if there's just like a level you get to where it's not it's no longer fatal it's actually really kind of great it is i am at that level as well certainly but i i think as far as (laughs) uh, to make a film that is widely accepted and and, you know uh, suavi was better prepared for it i feel like and it's a shame he didn't get 20 cracks at it you know (laughs) It really, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, the, God, if he could have just kept doing anything through the 90s without whatever happened, you know, I, I don't know the full mm-hmm. story of it, but like, so, you know, Suave, I think could he could have gone to Hollywood. He didn't, but, you know, and I don't know if the offer was ever extended, but like, he surely, he could have done something there. He, he knows how to utilize resources and stuff. He thinks big, um, but we'll, we'll probably yeah. never know at this point. One of his, I think one of his, his greatest skills too is he can take images that in the hands of other people would be kind of schlocky and, and silly um, and, and makes them very, very unnerving. So in the beginning of the church, um, you know, when it's the, whatever, the 13th century or I don't know what the hell time period this is during the Crusades, 
and uh, they're they're going around, they're massacring this whole town that you know would eventually get buried, and they build the, the titular church on top of them. And as they're massacring this town full of people, you just see these. I mean, they're just like rubber heads just rolling around uh, as they're getting chopped off, and it's it's so unnerving. It's it's just this because it, it's one of those images where it's it's clearly like not photorealistic, but because of the like the foggy, hazy quality of everything and, and just watching the heads bounce around. It's I don't know. It's it's one of those horror images that really gets you right in the gut. And uh, Suave can do that better than almost anyone. Um, this has kind of the same atmosphere almost as parts of I mean, you mentioned Fulci, but. I think of either the end of the of the beyond or most of conquest where everything's just kind of in a, in a, in a fog literally and metaphorically and Suave's just at a totally different level though um and he's he's able to rein things in the right ways and uh like you guys mentioned too just sort of take the the eccentric nature of someone like a like a Fulci or an Argento and and refine it to the point where it's more palatable and it's 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 unbelievably good it's extremely depressing that he didn't go on to make more yeah movies. the way he uses that like crusaders horses as this almost leitmotif it's ah uh, man so it's many fucking really brilliant good. choices in this movie yeah it's it's interesting actually um because uh, i talk about like some of these scenes really seem to have almost no uh kind of like what would you say, forebear or whatever. But I guess one of the things that is this film does lean heavily on is Polanski and Rosemary's Baby for a key scene of of se- <laughs> key sex scene that that will will live on in all of our memories. But but even as much as you can think to yourself, it's like, oh, you know, clearly this is an homage to Rosemary's Baby. So what in within Soavi's film, it is both a natural fit and it's also very much uniquely its own thing. In a way that, again, as much as I'm a fan of Bava, Bava just, you know, his homages are largely photocopies. They they f- often fall into that trap. So Avi, they're beautiful comments and co-conspirators with what went before. So just a whole other whole other ballpark. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. But I guess the big takeaway from this is if. If you're gonna if you're gonna seek out one of these movies for October, you want something fun to watch. I mean, holy shit! If you haven't seen the church yet, watch it. Especially now, because um, I can't I can't recall off the top of my head which which company did the restoration, but Scorpion uh, about, put out a blue. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, about was it two three years ago, 2018 maybe? They put out a Blu-ray. Uh, it, it looks it does. amazing, just absolutely stunning. Uh and and coming from a place of where I, I saw this probably back in like. I don't even know probably like 2006 or something on a on a shitty dvd uh to, to see it restored and and this gorgeous the way it was meant to be seen it's it's unbelievable so yeah watch the fucking church what are you doing with your life uh other than that uh sean how how is how is the uh the italian phase of sean's horror month gone for you uh good you know um it's it was nice because I, you know, I love Italian uh, cinema, and last year we talked about Giallo uh, cinema, and so this is a nice, like, different register to kind of like fill in those gaps because, like, uh, otherwise, you know, I'm going to resort to the classics, you know, the Fulci and Argento and, and the classic 
And Damata, of course. Uh, <laughs> nah, don't, Damata, don't well, Joey okay, D. so Damato is a year-long celebration for me. Sean has um, become the biggest Damato <laughs> head of all of us in a, in a twist yeah. no one, even M. Night Shyamalan, could not have composed. <laughs> no, and this this is one of the just the greatest stories in the history of podcasting <laughs> here, where it's just like, oh, we know what we're going to do. We're going to make Sean watch Joe D'Amato. And what are we, are we going to watch all horror movies? No, we're going to throw in... What was it like erotic nights? Porno, porno holocaust. Or... <laughs> porno <laughs> holocaust. We're gonna throw in porno holocaust. And now, now, Sean, how many Joe D'Amato cheapy porns have you watched? Uh, enough. Well, not enough. <laughs> Steve, Steve enough. a couple of his pornos enough. are reassuringly expensive. Not the zombie ones, <laughs> right. admittedly, That's... but like, I'm just, uh, yeah. It, I, I just, I just want to say, I am so happy that. Sean, in the past few years, you become D'Amato pilled. That just Me too. fills my heart with joy. But yeah, like this is uh, this is nice. Um, the these three movies, but uh, I am really looking forward to some other stuff that we have planned uh, for the next three episodes. Yeah, it's gonna be good. This is this is gonna be a solid October. There's so. quite there, there's a nice range of things, if I say so. Yeah, I think this is in terms of the the different parts of the horror universe that we're hitting here. I this is maybe the most varied we've done out of all the years we've been doing it. So it's it's exciting stuff. Um, you know, we, we got to wrap things up. So, Sean, what are you putting over this week? You know, actually, uh, something that I've been doing um, is I'm sure I've talked about this before, but like part of this exercise. Well, uh, we just talked about it with D'Amato, but part of this exercise is like uh, introducing me to something and then um, lots of times it is kind of like a shock to the system or, you know, just like kind of, you know, a little bristly uh, thinking back to like Roland, uh, for example, or a couple years ago, Hooper. Um, and then it takes me a couple years and I kind of like circle back and I'm much more like on the wavelength um, and so this year, uh, during September, actually, I watched a bunch of, uh, Hooper films and I have a couple left, uh, just feeling in gaps and now like sort of rewatching some that I watched back, uh, in 2019 and, and reevaluating them. Um, so I've done a ton of those and, um, while it's not my favorite, one of the ones I think is worth mentioning is, uh, 2004's Toolbox Murders, which I know is a remake, um, but uh, and does not have a decent release at all, unfortunately. Um, but is a uh, very grimy uh, movie about a uh, uh, high rise as well, or an apartment building uh, in Hollywood, and um, it's it's grisly and it's it's shot very interestingly. Um, and so, yeah, if you're, if you like, you know, some of the classic Hooper films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Eaten Alive and yada yada, um, and, uh, you have not seen Toolbox Murders, you should, uh, you should do that. All right. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I didn't prepare anything cause I didn't think we usually did these. Oh, we, shock, shock I of the century. we didn't usually Real do shocking. these in the October horror thons. Oh my I'm god! I'm gonna have to look back at last year. <laughs> I bet you we didn't do uh, putovers, but uh, I, I, why why not just watch Cemetery Man? I think that might be Suave's like most accessible film to Western audiences. Like even though it is mm -hmm. simultaneously maybe also his most bizarre film, it's just 
got a very sort of Western friendly style to it. It's if you're a fan of stuff like uh, Return of the Living Dead and Evil Dead 2 and uh, have a little taste for the uh, bizarre, surreal stuff that you'll find in Italian horror, then uh, Cemetery Man is a, a great mix of that. Uh, and it, it might make you like Rupert Everett for the first time. It's uh, <laughs> really a very special movie. One of the very best horror films of the 1990s. And uh, unfortunately, Suave's last horror film. So. Very depressing. Jack, what are you putting over this week? I'm going to put over a horror movie. I've seen a couple of really like really good movies, but none of them have like recently, but they weren't like horror related i feel like the best film in the register for this is a movie i watched recently called dream demon by harley cokeless uh like 1989 british film harley cokeless is american but he, he worked in britain for a long time very odd film never never really saw it before as a kid never came on tv or anything i think it was went missing for a long time you could kind of reduce it down to like uh, some kind of weird mixture of Hellraiser and Nightmare on Elm Street, somewhere in between those two things. It's like the house in Hellraiser, but the dream sequences of Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's a very odd, uneven film. It, I'm not going to claim it's like a lost masterpiece, but it's a very, it's very much a film that's like comprised of dream logic and strange, evocative visuals and peculiar kind of elements about it. It's about a woman who's basically her dreams are kind of expanding and taking over and everything. Um, just a, kind of an interesting movie and definitely one that, like, even as I watched it, I thought, okay, I wish I wish this movie was better. I also kind of am thinking enough about the visuals. I'm sure I'm going to watch it again at least a couple of more times. It's it's one of those films that, like, just one of the kind of movies you wish was made more often now, just where, where they just gave some guy a good chunk of money to do some weird crap in a in a house in london somewhere and also has timothy spall and jimmy nail uh like two work a work a day like working class british actors in like all kinds of weird monster makeup which is utterly bizarre um so yeah i have a dream demon uh check it out it's it's a peculiar one all right well i'm uh i'm putting over some albert brooks i uh i rewatched lost in america last night and uh i I forgot how funny that movie is. It's seriously great movie. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's it's right up there with real life for me. Um, just God, the 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 whole <laughs> if if you haven't seen it, like it, it's it's just like the perfect Albert Brooks neurotic domestic comedy about shitty yuppie people. Um, and I think Brooks more so than anyone he understood even even in the 1980s like immediately exactly how to mock these these shitty rich people from the era so it's it's brilliant just just fucking watch it uh that's that's what you need to do watch the church and then watch lost in america and you'll know everything you need to know about cinema right mm -hmm. sure anyways uh yeah if you enjoyed the podcast today uh good do us a favor, uh, there are some links in the description, uh, specifically one to our Patreon, and you can give us money. How fun would that be for you to give us money? And it's it's not just for, you know, shits and giggles. You're going to get something out of it. There's access to a bunch of old written and recorded Optimism Vaccine content that you can't get anywhere else. And if you live in the continental United States, because uh, I'm not made of money, uh, I will send you a movie in the mail just for becoming a Patreon subscriber at any level. Doesn't matter. Three bucks. I'll send you a movie. 
Could be a DVD, a Blu-ray. Maybe you'll get a copy of The Church. What if I sent somebody a special edition Blu-ray copy of The Church? You think I would do that, Jack? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I own that special <laughs> no, edition and I treasure it and yeah. no one else is getting You have to pry it from a cold, dead hands. Yeah, that you won't get that. You won't get that. Uh, but you could. It's it's hypothetically possible. It's mathematically possible. Uh, but you get something in the mail. If enough people you know, subscribe, it will have to happen. Yeah, it's that's the thing. Like I have a, a box of movies. Yeah, I, I have a box of movies that I'm giving away. But then once that box is empty, I gotta I gotta hit the shelves, man. So if enough if enough people give us three dollars, eventually I'm gonna have to begrudgingly give you my copy of the church. I think theoretically, so maybe that's you. Theoretically, with enough Patreon subscribers, we could afford to buy a copy off eBay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also, possible. Hey, we could afford to buy a, a original negative, perhaps. <laughs> oh yeah, so there there we go. I'll, I'll give away my copy of the church when we can afford to buy an original negative of the church. <laughs> with our Patreon money. That seems like a fair trade. Okay, we got this all sorted now. That's great. Uh, but also, if, if you give at a higher level, you can, um, you know, you can get your name read right on the air. So you could be the next uh, Ryan or the next Paula, uh, the next Dustin. Who knows? There's a, there's a lot of options out there for you. And uh, if you give at the highest level, you can actually tell us what to do. You can dictate an episode. And uh, yeah, so you know what? Maybe maybe you want Sean Glynis to to dive back into... Uh, you know, watching Italian porno films, or maybe you, you yourself, you watch the church and you're like, man, this devil character reminds me of something. And then the light switch turns on you go, oh yeah, it's Billy Crystal and deconstructing Harry. And he <laughs> wants to do a whole episode on that. That's an option. We can do that. So, uh, yeah, give us, give us some money. Also, if you have any, uh, questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimism, vaccine at gmail.com. Uh, alternatively, you can tweet at us if you'd like to at optimism vaccine on twitter.com. Uh, yeah, you know, just, uh, just holler at us. We'll, we'll say hi to you. Uh, other than that, I think that that pretty much is everything. So we don't have Jake to have the last word. Jack, you want the last word? Uh, no, I am bad at last word, Stephen. Yeah. This is the first time you've had nothing to say. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I, 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 I'll take the last word, Steve, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. I, 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 I that, that's, that's all, folks. <laughs> this is, this is good.